minds are so powerful that what we focus on reverberates through every aspect of our lives. So why not see what happens when we put our attention on all the good things people are doing? Join me for the good with Teresa G as we start a ripple effect by focusing on all the greatness in the world. Gail Noble is an author, transformative life coach, parent, mentor, blogger, and inspirational speaker. She has a lifelong connection to autism through her brother and son. Gail assists people seeking to uncover their own resilience, not just those touched in some way by autism. Gail has been coaching and supporting people of autism and special needs for decades. Her message being that attitude creates experience in all life. Welcome, Gail. Hello, nice to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you here today. Why don't we start um, the show off with you telling us a little bit about your story as the mother to Kyle and your two daughters? Um, Okay. Well, um, Kyle has severe autism. He's the oldest of my three children. Um, And it's been a pretty long complicated journey with him. I mean, it's been a long journey with all my kids because they're, um, adults, they're adults now. And, um, he, I, I homeschooled him for many, many years. And I balanced that with also obviously taking care of my daughters and, um, getting them to their dance lessons and taking them on vacations as a family, uh, without my son. And then eventually he went off to school. Um, he was about 16, 17 years old when he actually started going to school up until that time, while I was homeschooling him, I had many people coming in and out of the house to work with him. So it wasn't just me doing it. And when he went off to school and my daughters of course were in school as well, I, was a little bit lost at first and it didn't feel like a great thing. Everybody thought I would really love it because I would have all this freedom, but at first it didn't feel that great. And that is actually when I got into writing and decided to share stories from what it was like raising Kyle. Um, and that was the birth of my first book, which is called it's all about attitude. And also the birth of me as a writer and an author. So it's interesting uh, that Kyle was your first child. And I wonder, you know, you talk about um, in your new book, Space of Love, you talk about the what if game. And I had some questions about this, but I'm just going to jump to it right now because with Kyle being your first child, how was that emotionally as you jumped into giving birth to more children? Was there a lot of what ifs going on and fear in that? Or how did you move past that? Well, um, you know, surprisingly, and this is just my reflection, obviously there weren't as much of that. There wasn't as much of that as you would think that there would be. Um, partly because with our first daughter, which our second child, we did do some genetic counseling And at that time, you know, we're talking over 30 years ago. So genetic counseling was not what it is now. I'm sure. (laughs) 
yeah, they really She's a girl. Know. No. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, they really didn't know anything. So we actually did did this before we um before I got pregnant with my older daughter and they pretty much told us that we had as good a chance of anyone as having a child that you know, a typical child. And and at that time I think they hadn't even quite given that autism label to Kyle. They said he had autistic tendencies and developmental delays, which they often like to do back then at first. Um, so we, we kind of went ahead just under a very false, I think looking back now, a false sense of security. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of said, you know, we wanted to have more children and so, and then with the third one, I, I think we were just, I don't know, we were too, I must've been too busy to worry about it or something. I, you know, it didn't, it just, it, that what if didn't play into a lot of things. There were a lot of other what ifs, but not particularly that one. Yeah. It's just always interesting to me because, um, there's so many parents that sometimes when they do, you know, have a special needs child that, that really either it doesn't affect them at all, or I've noticed that they become really quite concerned about it um, when they're going into have some more children. Yeah, understandably so. And uh, I mean, there are some people that don't have any more children because of that too. Mm-hmm. Now with Kyle's, um, with Kyle's autism, is he uh, functional like, can he go out and work out in the world or what level autism are, have you been dealing with? So his would be considered, um, pretty severe or the low end of the spectrum. So he's no, he's not able to go out and work a regular job and he needs a significant amount of personal care. Um, I have to help him shower and shave and prepare his food and get him ready for his day. Um, he he does attend a program during the day, and I came up with um, my version of a job for him that I really love. And if you want, I'll share that with you. Oh, yeah. Yes, please. So he puts together shoebox kits for people in need um, that shelters give out to, say, homeless people. Um, and so we contribute and we also get donations from people of toiletry type of things like toothbrushes and toothpaste and shampoo. He actually goes, goes to the store and buys these items, um, to make these boxes. And he's been doing this for about eight years. So the boxes have about 20 or 25 different items in them. And he just kind of works at it little by little. And then he drops them off at, um, places that need them. And the really cool thing about this, there's a lot of cool things. For one thing, it gives him a very purposeful thing to do because a lot of times people like him are just sort of stuck doing meaning what I consider to be meaningless tasks, Mm -hmm. you know, that don't make any sense. Um, so it's something purposeful and it's his, a way that he can give back to the community because he gets a lot from the community. Well, that is fabulous. So listeners, if anyone wants to uh, help Kyle with any of that, please just uh, contact Gail and we'll have all her info on the website. So yeah. Yeah. 
So I'm going to, uh, one of my questions for you, and then we're going to start talking about your book, but, uh, do you feel like having an autistic child inspired you to be a better person? Uh, maybe better or more evolved or any way, you know, um, then if you wouldn't have received that diagnosis. Absolutely. Probably about a thousand times. (laughs) I can't even overstate this enough. Um, I don't really know what I would have been like without having him, but there have been so many, so many gifts. I mean, it's been very challenging, so don't misunderstand that, but there have been so many gifts to it and so many opportunities for me to look at life way differently than I would have ever looked at it before, um, to appreciate just constant lessons and constant and, and a lot of looking within and, um, you know, seeking what is it that really that happiness and, and thriving in life is really all about. Um, cause I don't know, I think we kind of have that a little backwards in our culture a lot of times. So yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like he's made me a better human than I could have ever been before. So, and my other kids too. So I want to leave them out of, of the, <laughs> but, yeah, I think being a parent, you know, but he kind of paved having him first help pave the way for me to be a better parent to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you know, in your new book, uh, space of love, um, I, I noticed that even though I didn't have a special needs child, I found that I could relate to your experiences in a sense, because I think most parents have played the what if games and have experienced resistance to what their child is going through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe with a, oh, obviously with a special needs child, it might be more of an intense in, uh, experience, but, um, I felt like I very much could relate to the things you were talking about, um, going on in, in your, your mind, you know, as a parent. Yes. I'm glad to hear that because that was my intention. The message is for anybody. So, In the, your new book, Space of Love, you talk about how transformative coaching helped your experience. You experience a deeper connection to your inner wisdom mm-hmm. and a new sense of freedom. Can you explain transformative coaching to us and sort of how that helped you so much? That's a great question. So... The transformative coaching that I do, um, that's been an evolution to me getting here is really helping people understand where their experience of life comes from. And typically we think it comes from the outside world. So outside in, and what I share and doesn't originate with me is that it actually comes from the inside out. So briefly something will happen. So you have this child with autism that's on the outside and you might say that that makes you sad or that makes you frustrated or something like that. But really there's sort of a middleman between the outside world and what you feel. And that's thoughts, your thoughts in the moment. So having a child with autism might, you might have a feeling of frustration when you think it should be different or should be another way, or your child shouldn't be having that behavior. So it's all those thoughts that fuel 
those feelings. So in transformative coaching, a lot of it is pointing people sort of in that direction of understanding where their experience comes from. And it, and it isn't really, sometimes people hear that and they think, oh, well, I'll just change my thoughts. It doesn't exactly work that way. <laughs> Cause have you ever tried to really change your thoughts? I mean, you might do it for a few seconds and then all of a sudden some other ones will slip in. You don't really have control of that. But once you kind of see where your experience comes from, it's just really helpful and really useful. Where the wisdom piece comes in is that we're connected to sort of a source that's greater than ourselves. And for some people, it might be a more religious person. You might call that God, or you somebody might call that a universal energy or something. But we're all kind of connected to something. That, that's the something that makes a baby grow in a woman. And the woman, my daughter's pregnant right now, so I'm really thinking mm. about this a lot. She doesn't really have anything to do with that baby as it's growing, other than, you know, she eats well and something like that. But as far as making a brain and a heart, she doesn't really control that. So it's, it's controlled by another source in a way. I don't know if this is making sense, but it's kind of just the source that we're all connected to. And that's where our wisdom comes from. And that's, we all have that. So we might have an issue and we're struggling and straining really, really hard to figure it out. And this happened to me about a year ago. I mean, it happens to me all the time, but a year ago, something really big happened and I was just struggling. And I went to bed and I sort of asked for an answer to this question. And in the morning I woke up and the answer was obvious, really obvious. Mm -hmm. So what happened there? Um, I sort of settled down. I went to sleep. So I settled down. I had a very busy mind and it's really difficult to hear wisdom with a very busy mind. And once you settle down, which happens in a, can happen in an instant, it's sort of like there's space for something to come through and an answer came through. How do you go about uh, settling your brain down? So I used to do a lot of things to settle myself down. I would meditate and um, I also practice yoga. I still do that and deep breathing and telling myself to settle down. And, you know, I, I kind of had a big toolbox and, and that's what I wrote about in my second book. But in the process of discovering transformative coaching and understanding the human experience, what I've come to see is that people are designed to settle down on their own and they don't even have to do anything. So more likely now, typically I just kind of wait until I settle down um, without trying to fix myself. You know, it's nice to sometimes notice that you're really stirred up and that's probably not the time to make a really big decision if you can avoid it. Um, but at some point that settles, it's kind of like, um, a snow globe, you know, those little snow mm -hmm. globes with winter scenes in them and you shake them up and they're very busy and lots is going on. And eventually everything settles down without you, you know, maneuvering it. Mm -hmm. I, I think of the mind is similar to that now. So it's very freeing to know that 
I don't even have to do anything because my mind is just designed to settle. Interesting. Yeah. Different, huh? That's very (laughs) different. I'm like, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about how resistance is the source of our stress as people. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about that a little bit more. You know, and I see, I see that all the time with myself and my son. And I know I shared it in the book with regard to something that happened with him one morning in the shower. But, um, Mm -hmm. if you think about it, we have, you know, again, all these things that happen in the outside world and some of them we just don't like. And so we're gonna, we're gonna push against that, um, in our minds we're going to resist and we're going to fight and we're going to try to fix this and try to fix that. And we get keyed up and this shouldn't be that way. And that shouldn't be that way. And we all do this. That's because we're human. We're human. But when that tends to fall away, when that resistance just settles down, our stress, you know, our discomfort, you know, stress is discomfort tends to settle down. And that's an opportunity again for some wisdom to come in. And it doesn't mean that you lay down and you never try to make something better in your life. So I'm always trying to help my son be the best he can be and be better, so to speak. But when I'm in resistance to something he's doing, then I feel stressed when that resistance drops, then the stress just isn't there anymore. It's the resistance is like pushing against something. Does that make sense? I don't know. Well, you know, my major question that comes from that is that, well, how do you stop resisting? You know, if you notice, oh, I'm really resisting this, I think maybe the first thing would be, to be able to notice, you know, to be able to stop and notice. So this is, you you know, this is how it feels to be resistant. But then when you start, when you're in the middle of that resistance, is it just recognizing it that helps you move past it or what? Yes. Yes. It really is the noticing as you point out and picked up on, that's the key. Um, because otherwise we're kind of like walking with blinders on and we're saying, oh, my son is causing me stress this morning. Kyle is, is making me stressed because he's won't get in the shower. <laughs> and so when I noticed that I was resisting everything, I just noticed it. And it was sort of like, this is a crazy metaphor, but it reminds me of, we lived in a house once where we had cockroaches And they would come out into the kitchen at night. But when you turn on the light, they would always scatter. And so it almost reminds me of that to where once you notice resistance, there's something about it. It doesn't always, it's not a formula, but it, it, it's like shining the light on it. And it just is more conducive to having it settle. Whereas if you notice resistance and then you become resistant to that. Like, Oh, it's resistance making me stressed. I can't be resistant, you know, and now you're adding another layer of resistance to your experience. So really the idea is it's more like something to know. And again, it might seem counterintuitive because we're in a culture that, you know, the 
self-improvement culture is always giving us tools to do something about everything. But what if it was just part of the human experience and part of your experience until it wasn't? So you notice that you're resistant and then in another moment, something sort of settles down and pretty soon you come up with another idea of a way of handling whatever you're resisting. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So essentially you're saying that, um, observe, recognizing resistance Mm -hmm. and just recognizing it and letting it go is how you get over resisting things. Yeah. Sort, sort of. Yeah. But, but sort of allowing the let go versus trying. So when I was resisting the difficulty my son had in the shower, I didn't really try to not resist it. Mm-hmm. I just all of a sudden noticed what I was doing. It was like somebody else was watching me. I was like, Oh, okay. Well, we could just do it this way. And then, you know, I went, I went forward that way. Yeah. You just changed your, uh, mode, you know, they're like, Oh, okay. But we're yeah. resistant with, he's not going to do this today. So let's do option B. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a powerful place to come from because if I know that whether I'm stressed or not stressed isn't coming from my son, but it's actually coming from within me and not in a blaming myself way, I'm not purposely wanting to be stressed or choosing that, but that's just how we create our experience. If I know that, wow, then my son doesn't need to change for me to feel good and okay. And then my husband doesn't need to do something different for me to feel good and okay. Now it's not to say I don't lose sight of that because I do, but I know, but I always come back to that. Like, wow. This reminds me of something that happened to me last week. Um, and, and notice that I said happened to me because it really, that's really wrong to put it like that. Uh, but my, my little four year old, sweetest girl, honestly, um, I picked her up from school and I took her grocery shopping and she usually does fine at grocery shopping. I, I, we never had a problem. And so, you know, she's walking around and she decides she wants to push the cart and I'm noticing a slight aggravation, but I'm just like, you know, um, and then so she, she's pushing the cart and she's starting to bang the cart into things and run, almost running into people. And so I, I put my hand on it to guide it. And she starts like screaming, you know, get your hand off of my cart, you know? And I'm like, um, no, I'm going to, I'm going to have my hand on the cart. She's just getting more and more upset. And I'm trying to, I say, you know, do you want watermelon? I'm not going to get watermelon unless you pull yourself together, you know, and I was just getting so uh, tense and about it. And I just continued doing what I was doing. And she started to get more and more hyper, uh, agitated. And pretty soon it was just, you know, cause I had the hand on the cart still. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon she was like kicking and screaming and yelling. And I had to take her out of the store and, you know, the whole store is looking at us. She's like biting me. She's never hurt a flea, but uh, mm-hmm. she's biting me. And I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, what's happened to my child? And really I was resisting 
um, the whole thing because afterwards and with some feedback from a lot of my friends, I recognized that it wasn't that she was in a place that day that wasn't, she was, she couldn't handle the stimulation of the grocery store that day. Mm -hmm. And that I resisted accepting that and was just going to continue, you know, doing what we do. And she was actually just screaming out for me to, you know, to not make her be in that grocery store and that she just wasn't, it wasn't a safe time for her because she was so tired or whatever. And, um, in retrospect and after some feedback and thinking about it, I thought, wow. So that was me being resistant to what, she needed at the moment and only, you know, focusing on what was working for me. And I had to go, go back and apologize to her and just say, you know, uh, no, you know, it's not okay to hit and bite, but I understand that you really needed me to grab you up and take you out of the store because you were so tired. And it was, it's just, that was, that sort of reminds me of what you're talking about. Because if you're, you know, if I hadn't been resistant to what she needed at the time, I would have just like, okay, we must have some canned beans or something and, uh, you know, at home. And it's not necessary that we go to the grocery store right now if she's not up for it. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's so beautiful what you shared too, because afterwards your wisdom had a chance to come in and it, it might've come in and it with help from people, friends or, or, you know, whatever, whatever it came, it came into you. And you saw some things that you didn't see when you were in the situation. So you apologized her. That's really, that's really awesome. But, but exactly that. So she just was having her day and she had some behavior as a result of it. And that was kind of end of story, but then you added your resistance to it. And again, Mm -hmm. not, it's not in a, that it's your fault or that there's a, doesn't have to be a judgment about it. That's just what we do sometimes. Yeah. It's, it was a learning process for me. You know, it was a learning process. Oh, okay. So this is the next step in parenting is that she, you know, I'm going to have to recognize what she needs and not resist what she needs, you know? Yeah. And so if somebody might say, well, boy, taking a four-year-old to the store is stressful. Well, that's kind of an interesting little story, right? That story is made of thought. If you're thinking it's stressful or you're thinking my daughter might have this behavior or whatever, that's your stress right Mm -hmm. there. It's not that it's stressful. Maybe you'll feel stress sometimes and resistance, and then maybe you won't. You know, I don't know. You talk a lot about intuition and some, something I ask, you know, uh, I've asked other coaches that have come on the show and how do you tell people to distinguish between intuition and fear? Because we are really a fear-based society right now. And so how, how do people distinguish between the two? Yeah, that's, that's a tricky one, you know, cause I think I've asked coaches that myself before, usually I mean, there aren't any rules, necessarily rules of thumb. So fear is like any other emotion, and it's also made of thought. Um, So there might be one situation that one person will have one thought about, and they're very fearful, and another person will have a different thought, and they're not fearful. 
you know, I think with the exception of maybe if you were going to be attacked by a bear or a mountain lion or something, then, you know, instinct would, would kick in. But I would say that to me with intuition, if, if something comes with a whole lot of yucky feeling chatter, then I don't necessarily buy into it as intuition. If it feels like fear to me, then I would probably, for me, often just wait, wait and see, you know, just give myself a little bit of time to settle so that I'll know what, what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I, I think that is a really hard question. I keep getting reminders like that, you know, my intuition is speaking to me all during the day and mm-hmm. even small things like, Oh, you know, don't go through that cashier. And I'm like, Oh, whatever. And then I go through yeah. that cashier and he's just like, you know, a total yeah. jerk. <laughs> and then yeah, yeah. I get back in my car and I'm like, Oh, okay. So that was a small, that's like, you know, again, a reminder, let's listen to this small, small intuit intuitive, you know, nature that's happening within me. Um, but with the fear aspect, sometimes it is so hard because very often fear to me is like makes my whole body feel weird. Um, and I don't know if that's common with other people. So that's one way I can tell. But sometimes it's very, very, uh, it's very, very um, much the same feeling as intuition. And, some, and sometimes people have to tell me, well, that's just your, you know, that's your fear. You're, you're just fearful. That's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it depends. Like, again, I, I, I kind of come back to just giving yourself a little time to see once some of that fearful thinking kind of settles, what's really there, you know, unless it's an emergency, you know, in an emergency, actually in an emergency, you know, exactly what to do. Your intuition is usually, I mean, I am not going to say a hundred percent, but all the times when I've had, for instance, emergencies with Kyle, there wasn't any question on what to do. And if for a second I was questioning five minutes later, it was answered for me, you know, that kind of thing. I feel like we have covered as human beings. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas the fear that maybe you're talking about is, Maybe, you know, I don't know, who knows what, just as an example, should I let my child do X, you know, you have a teenager, should you let them go out with X, you know, yeah, there could be be fear, you know, there's that, well, is it fear? Is it intuition? And it's okay to react to fear as well. Like, what if you made a decision and you were really making it based on fear rather than intuition? We do that. We're, we're humans. There's nothing that we have to get perfectly here in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. So, but I, you know, I, intuition to me tends to be like, it's almost like a little tap on the shoulder or a whisper. Like, I just think for the most part, intuition doesn't make you want to feel like you're going to throw up, <laughs> but I don't know if that's true. You know? Yeah. I agree that it most often is a whisper um, for me too. You, something that you talk about is that, and I think a lot of parents could relate to this, 
um, is not knowing how, not knowing the answers can be so stressful, but how you have found that not knowing the answers all the time for Kyle, and I'm sure your, um, other daughter, your other, your daughters Mm -hmm. in life in general, creates space available for opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And that's something I've really come to see becoming a coach and working with coaches and being trained. Um, I actually just posted something yesterday on my blog that relates to this. Have you ever talked with somebody who sort of knows everything and isn't really listening to what you're, what you have to say? So consequently, they don't really get anything about from what you have to share because it's almost like there's no space. Like that space is filled up with what they already know. Mm -hmm. So if you already think, you know, you just have already decided, you know, and there's nothing new you have to learn about this and that's it. Um, And sometimes that's okay. And that might serve you. But I know at least from my experience in the world of autism, there are so many challenges and so many unknowns. And with my son, he's not verbal. So there's so many things that he can't tell us so that they're guesswork. So I'm faced with, I don't knows all the time. And when I came to see that as a space of opportunity, as a space for something new to come to me, um, a new idea, just something fresh rather than my regurgitated stale thinking, which, which I have plenty of at times. And again, maybe it sounds counterintuitive um, because we think that we have to work really, really hard to, you know, I'll just make a list of the pros and cons. And I'm not saying don't ever do that and that's not okay. But what I find is when I just settle and just say, you know what, I just, I just don't know. I just don't know what to do something usually comes in. And even if it's not an answer, maybe it's go call a friend or maybe it's go look this up online or it's, it's something, a a step somehow appears. Mm -hmm. I found that too. I, I found that too. I can either obsess about it, you know, the fact that I don't know, or just more, you know, put my hands up and say, I don't know. I don't know. You know, let, and I, and often I'm like, I just have a feeling of faith that something will come. And that often most always does. Yeah. Yeah. And if it doesn't come right away, it might come later. <laughs> so I've noticed a common theme with um, a lot of the parents I know that have special needs kids. And it's, you know, honestly, it's a common theme for even parents like me who don't have special needs kids in a sense that we will worry and try to see the future and try to figure out what will happen with our children, you know, when we're gone. But for your, in your case, and with someone who, any parents that have special needs kids that um, a need daily support, it's wondering, you know, who's going to take care of them when you're not there and how they're going to survive without you. 
And can you talk to, let's, can we talk a little bit about that and how you, in the book, you talk about how you sort of have found some peace with that. Yeah. It's so funny because this is what my post was kind of about yesterday. We do worry a lot and talk about stress. That's, you know, worry is stress as well. So we, we put ourselves innocently, um, through a lot of mental, almost anguish, you know, about the future, because as you said, we know that somebody has to take care of Kyle. Uh, he can't, he can't live on his own like my other two children do. Um, so your mind kind of goes through all this stuff, but what I've just come to see is that, and maybe, you know, this is just being alive so long and having (laughs) Kyle's 34, everything kind of gets figured out as you go. I mean, it's not to say don't, don't make some plans. Um, all the things that, that I have worried about, I want to say almost in my whole life, somehow, somehow got figured out by myself, by life. It just seems to be the way that it works. Um, and there's no way that we can you know, we can make plans, but it's no way, there's no way we can completely micromanage the future. Mm -hmm. I'll give you just a really quick example. So a little over a year ago, Kyle was in a serious car accident. He was with a caregiver and Mm. he broke a whole lot of bones, but he was really lucky because he could have been killed. Oh no. So he had a couple of surgeries and he basically came home in a wheelchair with his leg in a boot because some of the, he had bones in his leg that were fractured and he's a very active man. He, he walks like two or three miles on the track and all of that. So he came home from the hospital in this wheelchair with this boot. And I remember wheeling him into his room thinking, and he'd been in the hospital for 10 days I have no idea how I'm going to make this work. I don't know how to transfer a six foot, 170 pound man from a wheelchair to a chair. Yeah. Um, I can't leave him alone because he really can't get up on his own right now. So even if I'm going to go use the bathroom, I have to have somebody here. And I just don't know how I'm going to do this. And I was worried. Um, and you know what? I did it. <laughs> Some days were really hard. I'm not saying it was a big cakewalk cause it wasn't, <laughs> but I got myself the help that I needed. Uh, I got somebody to stay overnight and, or, and watch him. Cause I was worried he would get up during the night and he really couldn't again, walk on his own for a while. Um, I just figured it out as we went. And every time I laugh at this in retrospect. So I would sit down and try to make this big schedule of people they were going to help. And this is what I was going to do. And it never, ever came to be like life always just kind of took off in a direction on its own. And I feel like that experience taught me just so much about how we're so resourceful and resilient as humans. 
and we figure stuff out. We have stuff put on our plates, like you with your daughter, you figured it out. And maybe at first it wasn't working for you to control the cart. And eventually you figured out you needed to leave the store. Like we're so good at figuring things out in the real world that a lot of pre-planning is the source of our angst and our stress. So again, I'm not saying don't ever make a plan, you know, because when he came home from the hospital, I had a plan of, well, you know, I'm going to call this person and, you know, and I had people that came at certain times, but sometimes they didn't. So mm-hmm. I said, yeah, you have a plan. Well, let me show you this, mm-hmm. you know? And then I had to re, you know, I had to, um, what is it when your GPS says, uh, rerouting, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of a constant rerouting we have to do in, in life. I think I've just made a little bit more peace with all of that. And I'll refer you to my blog because I don't want to take a whole lot of time talk. Like something really big actually has happened with regard to Kyle's future. Oh, yeah. How can my uh, listeners, how can they find your blog? Yeah. So it's just www.gailnoble. It's N-O-B-E-L, like the Nobel Prize actually, .com. And they can go to the blog tab. I'll give you a hint in that we just had a big answer come as to where Kyle is going to live. Um, and it dropped into our laps. <laughs> so, uh, isn't that, isn't that awesome? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and congratulations for that. Yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. I, uh, most of the time I ask people, uh, well, as we end the show, I just ask them, what do you do every day to help you to be your very best? Mm, yeah. For me, one of the things I do is exercise. So me too. Yeah. A variety of yoga and Pilates and hiking when it's not hot and spin biking. I just think it, it releases a lot of those feel good endorphins into our system, but it also helps the mind settle. You know, it's not a guarantee, at least for me, I notice my mind does tend to tend to settle and I do have more access to wisdom. So I think what you eat is really important. So I'm pretty mindful about that. And I think I just notice attempt to, to be grateful, you know, and you can't really force yourself to feel grateful, but I tend to notice what I have around me, even if it's, you know, simple things that we tend to take for granted. I love that. And I am right there with you with the, those, those moments of gratitude just lift me up so much higher. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on. And I want to leave my listeners with this one last quote that I grabbed from your book. It says, we experience thought as perceptions and feelings and it creates our realities. It colors the lenses we wear. It literally creates each of our worlds. And there's a thought for you, all my listeners for the day. And I thank you so much. I thank you, Gail, for being here. And everyone have a great day. I'm Teresa Gabrielle, and you've been listening to The Good with Teresa G. You can follow The Good with Teresa G on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you haven't yet, go to the Apple podcast and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation. Thank you for listening.